we see Riley as a baby and it's a good close up. And I think that they went to great lengths to make that the best looking CGI baby ever to be seen. <laughs> that it was just, it was like, holy cow, that looks more real than babies in live action movies. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 142 of the Movie Bite Podcast a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, emotions, and more. I'm TJ, your emotion-filled host, and joining me today are the little voices in my head. First up, it's that little red guy that shoots fire from his head and, and gets very angry about things. It is Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Hey, TJ. I just knew you were going to call me anger. I knew it. <laughs> Well, I mean, rally me up, man. Yeah, I mean, I have to. You know, it's just something that I have to do. Do all my emotions have uh, mustaches? I, I, I would assume so. Yes, you're, you're the guy in the bus. Like everything uh, is an, is anger. <laughs> okay, but also fiery red locks. Also joining us today for the first time is um, I'm not sure what emotion he is. I, I I don't know if I know him well enough to assign an emotion to him, such as huh. I can with you, Joe. But it is Tim Smith. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great, and. Uh, Hopefully, depending on how well I do, it'll be the first of many times. Yes, yeah, absolutely. We, we, uh, I think we're going to want to have you on some more. Now, now, where can the people... Um, well, first of all, tell us what emotion we should be assigning to you. Uh, what is your inside-out emotion? Oh, man. You know, <laughs> I, honestly, I, I, I got out of this movie thinking uh, I, I should reevaluate my whole self. But... Um, <laughs> But I, so I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe like, um, maybe fear was was. Oh no! Oh, no. I, I I don't know. I have no idea. I I don't know. I, I would like to think that it's joy, though, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, I mean, I think all of us like to think of joy, but then you know, sometimes I look over my uh, my social network stuff. And I'm like, I see a lot of anger coming out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, yes. So. Uh, Tim, where, where might the people know you from? You, you, uh, used to be part of a podcast network and you're still closely associated with it. You were a co-founder and things like that. So tell, tell the people where they might know you from. Yeah. I, uh, I used to host a, uh, uh, an interview show called the swing. I'm, uh, I was a, um, a founder of goodstuff.fm. Um, uh, I used to have a show on five by five at one point, mm-hmm. which was also the East wing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they people might know me from from those things. Okay, that, very good. I'm I'm very excited to have you on the show. I um, it's funny. I've heard your name like bandied about in the podcast world, or <laughs> I've, it's come up, or <laughs> I, I don't know how how I I, I I don't know how to describe it, but I've heard it come up. But I I've only recently gotten into your shows, and then you quit on me. Like the East Wing's not coming out anymore. And I don't know what's going on. So I know, uh, I know, I'm working on it. I'm right. working on the right. He's yeah. working on the West Wing. Now, yeah, so. there, there might be some things in the works, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the West Wing. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Um, so I'm excited to have you on the show and, uh, I'm excited to be here. Good, good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're excited to be here. 
unfortunately, uh, we do have a lot of cool stuff to talk about, but we do have to go back and reflect on uh, something that's a little bit more sad to start out the show with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever someone of note that I've enjoyed or has impacted me uh, over the course of my life uh, passes away, uh, particularly when you know, on this show, when it comes to film, obviously, um, is uh, it's something that we like to note. And uh, James Horner has scored many, many of the films that I love: mm. uh, Star Trek II, uh, Aliens, uh, things like that. So uh, uh, he also did the soundtrack for The Wrath of Khan. That's what I said, Star Trek II. But, but okay. you, you, you uh, just weren't uh, listening. I wasn't computing. <laughs> Recomputing. So. Yes, so um, this is just a little bit of music here. Actually, that wasn't the one I meant to play. This one, I think, is gives you the best kind of feel for the Alien mm-hmm. soundtrack. It is, you know, the movie's fine, but but the soundtrack is is something else. I mean, it really is just, I mean, I love to uh, put it on. I, I used to listen to it a lot, and then I kind of yeah. got away from it. And then when he passed away recently, I started listening to a bunch of his soundtracks, and and this one came up again. I'm like, oh, why don't I listen to this more? It's just, it's just such great, great music. Personally, three of my favorites from his his filmography was The Perfect Storm, um, The Mask of Zorro, and also Legends of the Fall. And Legends of the Fall is always popping up in my music apps on streaming, and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that just works. And so many genius playlists. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tim, do you have? Would you happen to be a soundtrack fan, and do you are you familiar with any of his work? I'm I am a huge uh, fan of of scores and soundtracks and film, um, but unfortunately, actually, and this is going to sound a sacrilege for anybody, <laughs> uh, but I, I I hadn't heard much of James Horner uh, until he died. So it mm. isn't until mm. now where I'm going through a lot of the a lot of the the the, the scores that he created. Uh, and listening to them, so uh, I'll, yeah. I'll have to get back to you in terms of, you know, yeah, how yeah. I feel about. Well, it. I mean, that's okay. I mean, there's there's a lot of of people out there that score films, and uh, you know, more, some of the more he he's I think I, I, falling falling out of favor was the wrong word in recent times, but he wasn't scoring as many things, or it wasn't. I mean, it, I say that, but he like he scored uh, Titanic, and he scored. Yeah, and he uh, also had Avatar. Avatar, yeah. yes, that was the one I was trying to think of. Um, but he did some older films like Aliens, Star Trek II, um, you know, Braveheart. Oh, I love his his Braveheart soundtrack. So, um, all right, yeah, hey, DJ, we're, we're getting into some alien off? music now. So I'm gonna go ahead and turn that Thank off. Thank you. <laughs> uh, he did some more recent work, like uh, a film I haven't seen yet, Wolf Totem. But the soundtrack sounds wonderful. Really? Um, he also hmm. did the Amazing Spider-Man, and I, I listened to a little bit of that soundtrack. Uh, yeah, that's okay. I, I, that wasn't necessarily first, his best right? work. But uh, did he do the first? I don't think he did. He did the, the Amazing one. Spider-Man, so oh, not no. the Amazing Spider-Man two. Right, he didn't yeah, yeah. Do, I'm sorry, oh, okay. I, had it, I had it backwards. Yeah, he didn't so do the Sam Raimi films. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, because I, because the Amazing Spider-Man two was Hans Zimmer and Pharrell. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 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 That was and it didn't pull it off as well. I thought that James Warner's was better. Yeah, I think the reason I had a hard time getting into that soundtrack was because um, it, it was The Amazing Spider-Man, and I couldn't stand it. Now, some of some of his uh, exceptional work, exceptional work, I thought, uh, was The Mask of Zorro, where he took something yes. very common, uh, the, like the themes that you would expect from from something a little bit more, you know, Spanish based or whatever. But then he he made something special out of it. I, I don't know how to describe it. I just I love listening to that soundtrack when I'm coding and stuff. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things I like to listen to when I'm coding, and a lot of times it's more rock and pop. But sometimes if I'm in a more mood where I need to kind of focus more or whatever, it'll be something that James Horner has done like that. So, 
yeah, a lot of, a lot of great soundtracks. So the reason, obviously, we're talking about this, as we alluded to, um, here's here's the news. A small plane registered to Horner went down this morning. This was published on June the 22nd, by the way, the thing that I'm reading. So it went down this morning outside of Santa Barbara, California, killing the pilot and destroying the plane. Horner's attorney confirmed that the plane belonged to the composer, and multiple sources later confirmed his death as the pilot at age 61. So very sad. I I guess I'd always assumed we'd be seeing more, you know, uh, James Horner scores. I mean, goodness, how old is John Williams? And we're still getting scores from him. So I thought, oh, well, we'll see several more scores from James Horner. But unfortunately, this accident has taken him away from us and uh, our condolences to his family and, and those surviving. So. Yeah, um, if you get the chance, um, there are so many music streaming services available these days. I, I would recommend you listen to some of his tunes if you haven't already. I like some of the the main theme from A Beautiful Mind. Mm. And I think that just about everybody, when I was a teenager, was in love with the Titanic soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's It's not my favorite, but it's still pretty solid. And like I said, uh, th- several tracks from Legends of the Fall are excellent uh, but you, you just can't go wrong in general with his soundtracks. If you enjoy others like Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams, he's not the same. He definitely had his own unique characteristics that he brought to his soundtracks. And that's really refreshing. You know, like something that you've said, TJ, many times is that we, we really love John Williams, but it's always refreshing when you can distinguish someone else's personal flair and I think the, the 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 composer that comes to mind who has the most distinct flair that seems to work for everyone is Hans Zimmer. But yeah. another one of those that when he was given the chance, he usually knocked it out of the park, and that was James Horner. Yeah, I'm going to put a uh, a link uh, in the show notes as well to James Horner talking about some of the way he approached scoring Star Trek II, which was really his breakout score. Uh, where he really started to become known. So I'm going to link that in the show notes. I, I found a lot of the philosophies and stuff that he talked about behind scoring so fascinating. I um, I know just a little bit about music, not a whole lot, So, um, but I, I, I just loved hearing him talk about this uh, this sort of thing. So I'm going to put that in the uh, show notes as well. Show notes, by the way, for this episode will be at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 142. Uh, that is if you don't use a modern podcasting app that will pull those show notes in. So yeah, um, very sad news, but we're, yeah. I, I, you know, I just, I, I just felt all week I've been just celebrating the, the scores that he has given us. So the, like, you know, like the, the three pillars of soundtrack to me were, um, James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams. And we, you know, we've lost two of those now, Jerry Goldsmith, of course, being a little older and, and having passed away in 2004, maybe 2006, I can't remember for sure. And now James Horner. So John Williams is is like the last pillar left in, in my mind of, of soundtrack. So um hoping to get another, obviously, score from him with uh, with uh, Star Wars. But anyway, I think it's time we should uh, move on to the next thing, but definitely wanted to note that. Um, so, Joe, this yeah. I think this next link in the show outline is going to be of interest to you. Uh, I, yes. yes. I'm afraid of the discussion that we may have on this topic. <laughs> this will be interesting. So, Joe, why don't you tell us about this news? Okay, so Back to the Future remake will never happen is the headline from Slash Film. The story is, is that Robert Zemeckis, the director of the trilogy and the writer, he was interviewed on The Telegraph and he was asked, you know, what do you think of the possibility of a remake of the Back to the Future film or films? And he was quoted as saying, oh, God, no, that can't happen until Bob and I are dead. And then I'm sure they'll do it unless there's a way for us in our estates to stop it. 
I mean, to me, that's outrageous, especially since it's a good movie. It's like saying, let's remake Citizen Kane. Well, who are we, we going to get to play Citizen Kane? And what folly, what insanity is that? Why would anyone do that? And I, I completely, as the fanboy, understand why I should <laughs> be saying, oh, absolutely. Never, ever remake a good, solid film. But there's a completely different reasoned part of me that is saying it's really shocking. I, TJ, I don't think we've ever talked about this very important point. Mm, I think that there are cases where you should most definitely remake a really well-made film, mm. Uh, mm. perhaps <laughs> not necessarily in the exact same script, but you should take liberties and remake a film. I want to I want to get Tim's opinion on this. I, I, are you a fan of Back to the Future, Tim? I love Back to the Future. I have uh, all three on Blu-ray. Yes, excellent. Um, do, would you do you what what side of this do you fall on? Are you with Zemeckis, or do you think he's he's stupid for not letting a remake happen? I'm I'm very opposed to this idea. I I don't I I agree with Zemeckis. I don't know why uh, you would remake Back to the Future. The 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 reason why I mean there are many reasons why it's so good, but. Honestly, I, I've, I've watched, let's say the last time that I watched, uh, Back to the Future was November of mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. And even then, they're like the, the complete, uh, falsehood of, two, of their version of 2015 is what makes this movie so good for me. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> yes, it is. It's really great. It's, um, yes. I, I love how in the retro, like, antique store, the novelty store, they have an, uh, an Apple, what is it, a Mac, an original Macintosh from 1984. Yeah. You, would, you would shop. notice that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, they, they need to update it and just with some CGI, put it in an iPod somewhere on the shelf. <laughs> Sure. I, um, Joe, I'm, I'm also going to side with Tim here. I, I side with Zemeckis. Like I, I think that too many movies get remade and not for the better. And I'm really glad that he has the control him and Bob Gale to keep a, a remake from happening as long as they're both alive. I I'm really yeah. excited about that. Right. I, I actually agree on the idea that the back to the future films should probably never be remade, but I don't agree with the premise that a really solid film should never be remade. Uh, I can think of other films I would like to be remade. Such as, uh, yeah, the, the one that comes to the top of my mind is the original wizard of Oz. Uh, but with, I wouldn't with call Judy Garland. <laughs> this may be sacrilege. I wouldn't call that a great film. <laughs> you are one of the incredibly wow. few people to that would like say that it's film. not a good film. I don't like that film. I, but see, I can understand where you're coming from, and this is a point of contention for me because I understand why it's became, become a pop film. It's become a very poppy film. Mainstream, like I imagine uh, Taylor Swift is watching, watching it like right now or yesterday. But, uh, it's it's very it's very popular. Uh, I'm sorry, shut shut it down. We got to end the podcast. This is, we can't go on. Taylor <laughs> really? You're you're defiling my podcast with Taylor Swift? Oh come on. No, my point is I I do not approve of all things pop art, but that's what I feel like the original Wizard of Oz was for its time, and that that's what disappoints me is that I think that that film could be in, so masterful. If it were made today and if it was not a musical and if it were taken mm. seriously, not dark, but taken seriously, I think that you could really make The Wizard of Oz 
quite amazing. If, if I remember right, when we reviewed Oz the Great and Powerful, um, I, I, I think there was uh, several uh, listeners who, who had the contention with me over that. And I don't remember if that was with Chad or with you, Joe. I, I honestly don't remember it. But when we reviewed that, but I, I certainly enjoyed Oz the Great and Powerful far more than something like uh, the, the first Oz film, um, The Wizard of Oz. Um, so yeah, I, I, we're kind of on a sidetrack here, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, if you don't mind me saying the only Oz film that anyone should watch is called return to Oz. Uh, okay. uh, that, that was made in the eighties by, um, <laughs> I forget who, but, uh, the puppetry was done by Jim Henson studios and it was ah. made by Disney and it was amazing. That I'm, movie demonstrated I'm, what I'm talking about that could have been done if they went and told The Wizard of Oz, but they, they skipped it and created a sequel instead. Knowing that it comes from Jim Henson Studios, I'm going to be disappointed if there isn't a cameo from Kermit the Frog. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, it was it was not a it was not a comedic movie. It was <laughs> there was no inside jokes. Um it's exactly what I was saying. Uh I, I would like a Dorothy from Kansas in the late nineteenth century to be like. Um and yeah, it's it's a film I've watched many times over the years. It still works. You know, it, it's funny because I I feel torn on this on this subject because I I am I'm definitely again against remaking uh, Back to the Future, um, but at the same time I I have to I have to agree with Joe that I don't think that uh, a film should not be remade for the sake of you know, I, I don't know, preserving something just because it was good. Um, I mean, I, I can remember when uh, we, when I thought that there shouldn't be any more Star Wars movies because they were going to suck, you know? I kind of um, still am there. <laughs> you see, but I, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore for some reason after, after watching the the trailers of those, of those films. Mm. Um, there, there have also been rumors about the fact that Indiana Jones is being remade with, um, with Chris Pratt, right? Oh God. And, and <laughs> at first I, again, I was completely opposed to that idea. Uh, but as time goes on, I, I, I feel like I get more and more warmed up to the idea and, and would, would actually be able to watch without a, without a biased opinion. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. So I think maybe whether we feel like a film should be remade. And again, maybe this is all very emotional, personal thing. Like I don't want back to the future to be remade because I think the first three are, perfect well the first two are perfect and the second right. third one is really good and and i don't want them to be remade like they they, they are what they are and i don't want my memories yeah. of them defiled or despoiled or, or anything like that and so i'm, I'm thinking of, yes. of films like the matrix um which is a perfect film in my yeah. opinion why you're right I, I, yeah and and you better believe if they made more matrix films i'd be in the theater to watch them but i would be deadly opposed to the idea of making more of them they already were headed the trajectory was downhill <laughs> Um, uh, no, I, so I, I, you know, but th at the same time, if there's a film that we really don't like, but we like the concept of, I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know there have been some like, Oh, a remake, uh, you know, a modern remake would be great. So maybe this is all such a subjective thing that it's really hard to talk about. Yeah. It, yeah. It's definitely in the subjective category. Uh, it, it just, just so many stories are, well, I mean, like think about Superman, the original Superman with Christopher Reeve. You could say, that movie was the only Superman movie we ever would need. Sequels just uh, not even bother with sequels. But then again, why not? 
the sequels are another. I'll, I'll another tell you why not because we got day. Superman three and four, which we try to pretend don't exist. Right, yeah. but the the sequelitis is another problem altogether. What we're talking about is remakes, and yes, the story of Superman has been remade over and over again. And have any of them had the charm of the original? No, but I don't think that that meant we should stop trying because I think as much as I love that original film and I've watched it hundreds of times, I still am just not satisfied by some things that I think that we could do a lot better now. Uh, it's, it's a rotten shame, but I, I kind of wish like we could get a Joss Whedon Superman film. I feel like that that would just be about, <laughs> I would, I would be down for that. Now, would you be okay with a Joss Whedon back to the future? Oh, see, now that would be interesting. <laughs> I don't, oh, I don't think that there's did. anything that Joss Whedon could not do, quite honestly. Um, it, that, I mean, that, that, that might be my own, uh, personal opinion, but I, I have not seen, I have not seen a film of his recently that I feel, well, actually I haven't seen a work of his recently that I feel, oh man, that was, that was not good. <laughs> he could have done better. I, well, I, I think the only thing that I've ever seen of Joss Whedon's that I really feel like in totality, I feel like could be better that, and, and I think it was just because of his inexperience with feature films was Serenity, believe it or not. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say much ado about nothing. No, I understand. I loved much about yeah, much ado about nothing. I actually. didn't love love it, but it was great. And I think the only reason I didn't really love it is because I have my complete unfamiliarity with the entire genre. There, my my wife loved that uh, film so much because she's a like a Shakespeare nerd. So, in any event, um, we're going to have to move on because we see we're only on the second topic, <laughs> yeah. and we have a, a huge. That was a very good to topic. About. So absolutely, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to rehash that conversation at another day. Yes, yeah, I want to revisit this idea of Joss Whedon <laughs> remaking all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that that could be a podcast on its own. Yes, Joss Whedon remakes. We'll spec <laughs> we'll speculate about all the things Joss Whedon would do to any remake. All right, so let's move on to our next topic, and this is a new uh, international promo, and the headline says, on Slash Film says, reveals a cool angle for a young hero's origin. Let's take a listen to that trailer. 24 years ago, my planet, Krypton, was in serious peril. My cousin, Kal-El, was sent to a planet called Earth for his own safety and protection. You may know his story. The story you don't know is that I was sent to protect him. You will do extraordinary things. I love you, Kara. Shockwave knocked my pawn into the Phantom Zone, where time doesn't pass. I slept there for 24 years. That was from the trailer, the international trailer for the upcoming uh, TV show, which is apparently the first episode is leaked online, but it's for Supergirl. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, the, the thing is, like, I was really not blown away. <laughs> I was kind of turned off to, about the show by the first trailer. Um, it just seemed too something. I don't know. This trailer looks a lot better, but what we have among us here is someone who has. Um, defied the rules and watched the first episode of the leaked <laughs> TV show. And so without yeah. spoiling it too much, Tim, uh, how, how do you feel about the show? How do you feel about this trailer? Do you feel like it's a more accurate representation of the show? Uh, give us your thoughts here, man. I, I definitely think that this trailer is a lot better. 
And and I, I and I'll be honest, I was I was actually excited about it no matter what from the first trailer too. Just because um these type of shows, I watch them whether I feel like they're gonna be good or not. Sure. <laughs> you know? Um but uh but I've I've watched the second trailer, I've watched the full first episode, and I think that the way that they explain certain things, the way that they set up her story, and and also the fact that this is um this is really the the first uh series that focuses on a woman hero mm. and and I think that they handle that very well and uh to me it's it's a, it's going to be a series definitely that is exciting to watch yeah well i think regardless i think all three of us could probably agree i certainly hope we can all three agree that no matter what happens everything about this will be better than anything with the helen slater movie <laughs> yes <laughs> Uh, yeah, that movie Everything, was terrible. Everything, pretty much. I, the cast, the direction, yeah. the platform, the medium, the special effects, the costume, yeah, the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. So Thankfully, the, the first, I never watched that. Oh, yeah, don't bother. Don't. Do not. It's. I, I wish I could take it back. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was the worst. It, I, don't, I can't even explain how bad it is. Like, there's no words that I can do justice to how bad the, the Supergirl movie is. So the, the pilot is set to air on the 11th of July. I, I assume I'll watch it on the 12th of July on Hulu. Um, just because that's the way who operates. Uh, so I, I intend to watch it in, in a legal manner, but it's okay if you found it online. It's okay. I give people a hard time. Uh, no, I actually, I, I don't think the guilt I knew. trip continues. Huh? When, when, when did it, when did it leak, uh, Tim? Uh, it was I more than a month ago now, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, it, it was a friend of mine who let me know. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, well, then I, I have to watch this. So, um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I if it was a month ago, I can't really blame it on my whole move and everything, which I I even forgot to mention. I'm coming to you from an entirely <laughs> brand new podcast studio and in this new house and uh, uh, anyway. Uh it sounds good. It's not interesting. Uh <laughs> this is what people tune in for, as Marlon would say. Um yeah, so I, I definitely this trailer has me more interested uh, in the show than the previous trailer. What, what didn't you like of the first one, though? Boy, oh, I, see, I knew you were going to ask this. I, I just felt like it was too, like, giddy, syrupy. Uh, uh, what was it? Because we talked about this, Joe. Do you remember what it was that I said that I didn't like about it when that first trailer came out? Because I... Uh, I what did uh, you like? It, it was it? yeah, it was too uh, chick flicky. Chick flick, <laughs> yes, yeah. It yeah. was like a, it was like a bad chick flick. Is, is what it looked mm. like. Yeah. <laughs> now that there's again, I, there's chick flicks that I like, and I, you know, I don't know if we're being sexist even with the term. It's like a genre, so I think it's okay. But but um, it, it just it just had too much uh, yeah. happy go lucky Supergirl. I, I didn't know what was going on in that trailer, and it was all over the map, and, and I, it just looked terrible. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think that that's to a certain degree the tone that they're going for. Um, and and I I do think that though as the season progresses. And uh, and they continue to to refine it. Uh, they'll get better at at doing that tone, you know. Yes. Um, yes. Because if you if you watch the Flash, for example, the Flash is also very happy, um, a, a lot more fun than yes. Arrow. Yet they yet they strike a good balance, and and I feel like it'll take time for Supergirl to to hit that balance where it's fun without being you know corny. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I never felt like the Flash really got corny. A couple of times it did, I guess, but uh, I, I enjoyed the Flash for the most part. Now, 
did I were my eyes deceiving me? Did I see in that trailer a uh, crossover with Arrow with uh, Diggle in there, or or was that somebody that because it was just for a split second and I didn't have time to go back and check? I'd have a hard time believing There's that no because crossover. they're completely different okay. networks. Okay, are they? Oh, they're different networks. Okay, well, I mean, because they're both DC, it's yes. theoretically possible, but it's possible, but. Only there, barely. Uh, from from what I understand, um, all of the DC shows are part of the same universe. Okay, so so you're saying, but they're, this- but they're not. They're they're for them. It's like they have the DC television universe, and then they have the DC cinematic. Yeah, you know, the, the television universe is definitely not part of the cinematic universe. Um, yeah, un- unlike Marvel. Yeah, interesting. Helen Slater has a cameo in here. That's fun. I guess. There's some there's some interesting cameos at the beginning actually. Okay, okay. I see uh Ferentier, Tahir is in here. Uh he was uh he was in the first Star Trek movie. Um so okay. Yeah, I I'm, I'm interested. Also. I'm sorry. Yeah. Dean Kane. Oh uh oh, he's from uh from uh, uh Lois and Clark, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I never well, really got into that. That's not in its favor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so suffice it to say, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic now, especially hearing your review of it, Tim. And, and, and like you say, I was going to watch no matter what. I mean, right. I was certainly going to tune in. Um, but, but this makes me a little more optimistic about the show. So, uh, yeah, that'll be good. Um, let us, let's keep moving right along, and let's talk a little bit about uh, – I just wanted to make a note. Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto have signed on for a fourth Star Trek film should such a, a, a beast arise. The, the third film is finally filming now. Um, and it, it is, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, any of the previous writers and JJ's not directing this one. This is, uh, Justin Lin directing the third one. And apparently Paramount is, uh, is, uh, certainly expecting there will be a fourth track. And it was a little questionable whether because of the contracts, whether they could get the actors back and whatever. So they have signed at least the two, you know, obviously, uh, Kirk and, and Spock are signed on for Star Trek four. So that means they must have confidence in what's going on with Justin Lin and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Simon Pegg and Doug Jung's uh, script. So, so that's exciting, I think. Uh, do you guys have anything to say about that? I'm excited mm. for this. I, you know, I'm mostly excited uh, for Star Trek Three, just because I feel like it's time for a little bit different take on this. Now that we're in this new universe, which I, I have questions about whether we should have done this, but now that we're <laughs> here, now that y- you know, you're a listener, uh, now that we're here... I want a little bit of a fresh take on this new universe. I I, I want to see because I felt like JJ and and Orsi and uh, or Orchi is however you say that. It, um, I, I felt like they were a little bit boxed in by their ideas of what new Star Trek was, and I'm I'm excited to see something a little bit different. So that that'll be good. I, what, I think it'll what, be good. What what is the different you want to see? I don't know. I, I I don't know. I. I, I feel like I, I and I don't an know idea. whether Justin Lin will give this to us or not, but I feel like I want a little bit more Star Trek in my Star Trek, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. With without, okay. I, I know we need to appeal to a broader audience than what Star Trek does. Yeah, and right, that's yeah. the idea is broadening Star Trek. But I still feel like some stuff has been thrown away needlessly. Like it wouldn't have mattered, uh, and you're just doing it for the sake of of being not Trek, and and that just right. bothers me. So I don't know if D- Justin Lin will give us that or not, but. Uh, you know, in parts of Star Trek Two, uh, see, I'm doing it. I, I said I would never do it. Parts of Star Trek Into Darkness um, felt a little bit rehashy of the first Star Trek, so I, I definitely want to see something a little bit more fresh. Wait you know, I, it's uh, rehashy of the first Star Trek being uh, the Wrath of Khan, or no, no, the first Star Trek, <laughs> the, the first. See, this is confusing. The first I think new he was Star trying Trek, to avoid that, yeah. 2009 Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you two are going to have to fight over who goes because you were both talking at the same time. <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. Sorry. 
um, well, what I wanted to say is that uh, I have, again, mixed views about whether whether they should do this or not. Uh, broaden the appeal to audiences mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the, this has been my fight with Marvel movies that they they cut a lot of stuff out and they they simplify a lot of the characters, in my opinion, to appeal to people who have never read the comics. And, and, and in my opinion, that's a mistake. Whereas with Star Trek, I feel the other way because I had watched some Star Trek before watching these movies, but really it was these movies that, that got me into watching the, the original series. Right. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, for me, I'm excited. I, this is, this is the Star Trek that I know. Um, so it's difficult for me to, to compare it to anything else, but, um, I, I do, I do like them. I, I'm looking forward to them uh, doing more exploring in this film. I, I yes. think that, that was the, I think that that was the 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 uh, what was said about it that it was going to be more of um, the the crew doing more exploring of worlds, and and I look forward to that because uh, the first two were a lot of action and not enough. Um, Exploring well, a lot I of action I don't know if that and a makes lot of sense. it close to home. Yeah, well, right. and and even like the dimensions of of Starfleet and and as we knew it or, or space as we knew it in old Star Trek was kind of strange. Like, what? It only takes thirty minutes to get to Kronos. What? That, that's not <laughs> right, you know. And and oh, it only takes fifteen minutes to get back. And oh, they happen to drop out of warp, and oh, they're fifteen thousand kilometers from Earth, and they're falling into the ground. Like the whole none of none of the spatial orientation in Star yeah. Trek Into Darkness made any sense at all. But but that aside, I I completely agree that I think what Star Trek needs now is to, you know, be space, the final frontier. You know, they need to take some yeah. voyages into the uh, unknown. So I I definitely think, and and if you think about it, none of the movies. I, I don't know how familiar you are, Tim, with with all the movies, but none of the movies have really been what Star Trek was in the TV show. They've all been Earthbound yeah. to some extent. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess you know. I guess maybe. Um, uh, the, the the ninth Star Trek movie. I'm I'm blanking on the name. Insurrection. I guess it was kind of out in the stars or whatever. But uh, most of them have been somewhat earthbound. So I think it would be exciting to have real Star Trek happening in a movie. Um, yeah. So that, that'll be fun and that'll be interesting. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to this and seeing what they can give us. My fantasy director for a Star Trek film would be Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> yeah, he might be interesting too. But I, I was going to say Joss Whedon. Oh, you'd be okay. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that basically wraps up our non-review related news. And I think we need to move right along into our review of Inside Out. But first, I just want to point out this uh, article on Slash Film uh, that details the various Easter eggs that you can find in Inside Out, um, such as uh, the Pizza Planet truck, you know, For the Birds, the Good Dinosaur even makes a cameo, which I hadn't realized, but it makes sense now that they point out where it was. The chef from Ratatouille, uh, you know, a familiar playground from Toy Story, just all those sorts of things that Pixar does really well. They kind of hide that stuff in there, and then you kind of dig through, and you're like, oh, look at that. Uh, There it is. So um, just want to point that out. That'll be in the show notes for you to kind of catch up on. Uh, Did did any of you, anything catch any of your eyes, uh, either of you two? No, actually nothing. And I I thought that that was quite a surprise because Mm. I've caught other cookies before. Like in uh, Monsters Incorporated, there was Jesse – um, as the doll in uh, Boo's, you know, bedroom, yeah. and yeah. then in uh, other films, I just saw little things like that. But what's interesting is that I didn't spot anything, and there were several, as it turns out. 
And what's interesting about this is the way that Pixar works, they basically have a archive of all these objects, these CGI objects Mm -hmm. that when they need to, they can just, you know, recall them and place them (laughs) in a shot. It's, it's really amazing because if you think about it, they have a better catalog of props and sets, environments, lighting. They can just like copy and paste the entire <laughs> lighting from some shot in Ratatouille into this classroom setting for, you know, inside out and no one would be the wiser. And the better they get at their craft, the easier it gets because they don't have to model half as many things. Well, they're really good about hiding these things subtly. The only one that I yes. noticed, the only one from this list that I noticed was the ball um, the, the with the star on it. You know, the the, the kind of the uh, familiar uh, ball there. The, so the iconic uh, ball from Pixar. So I uh, think that when – now, the, uh, the the good dinosaur, is that taking place in modern times or is that supposed to happen long time ago in history? My understanding is that it is a taking place in what would be modern time but with an okay. altered history. Like what if the, – the, even the trailer says, what if this thing never happened that made the dinosaurs go extinct? That's my understanding right. of what the, okay. the good dinosaur will be. So I was just wondering how hard it would be to put in those cookies if it was set in the ancient ancient past – I don't uh, know. But I guess that's not going to be a problem if it's in modern times. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, uh, so that, that'll be in the show notes. Let's move into our review of Inside Out. So, how was the first day of school? It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Do you ever look at someone and wonder, what is going on inside their head? Did you guys pick up on that? Sure mm-hmm. did. Something's wrong. We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. <laughs> what did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? <laughs> uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? Signal him again. <laughs> ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? <laughs> that was from the trailer for Pixar's Inside Out. It was released on June 19th, 2015. It had a budget of $175 million. The opening weekend, domestically, it brought in $90.4 million. Worldwide gross so far has been $273.5 million, so it has brought in a little bit of cash. The critic consensus is that it is inventive, gorgeously animated, and powerfully moving. Inside Out is another outstanding addition to the Pixar library of modern animated classics. The director was Pete Docter, and he had some help from Ronald Del Carmen. I'm not sure... Uh, Pete D- Doctor is more or less hailed as the director of this film, but Ronald Ron- Ronaldo Del Carmen was also uh, billed right alongside him. So I'm not sure uh, how that played out, but in any event, those were the directors, and the story. The writers were Pete Doctor, Ronald Ronaldo Del Carmen, Meg Lefauve. I should never be allowed to pronounce names. Uh, Josh <laughs> Cooley, Pete Doctor, Amy Poehler, and Bill Hader. Uh, well, Amy Poehler and Bill Hader had additional dialogue, I'm assuming they came up with as they were doing their lines. The stars were Amy Poehler, Phyllis Smith, Richard Kind, Bill Hader, Louis Black, Mindy Kaling, Caitlin Diaz, Diane Lane, and Kyle McLaughlin. Uh, Mc- Mc- I think that's how you say McLaughlin. that. McLaughlin, yeah. yes. The composer was the uh, the ever-present, all the films this year, Michael Giacchino. He has scored so many films lately. 
Uh, and he had it was a great score too. It was a wonderful. Oh, score. he's he's a great scorist. Yes, uh, I believe you mean composer. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Joe, as is your tradition, why don't you tell us about this storyline? Growing up can be a bumpy road, and it's no exception for Riley, who is uprooted from her Midwest life when her father starts a new job in San Francisco. Like all of us, Riley is guided by her emotions, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. The emotions live in headquarters. Get the play on words there? Mm -hmm. The control center inside Riley's mind, where they help advise her through everyday life. As Riley and her emotions struggle to adjust to the new life in San Francisco, turmoil ensues in headquarters. Although Joy, Riley's main and most important emotion, tries to keep things positive, the emotions conflict on how best to navigate a new city, a new home, and school. All right, guys. Uh, Tim, you are our guest, so I think you get to give us some of your general thoughts and, and feelings about this film and your first impressions. Why don't, why don't you give those for us first? All right, sure. Um, I absolutely loved this film. Mm. Um, and, and uh, you know, you when you started mentioning how much money it made in its opening weekend, I, I think it's so unfair because it opened the same weekend that Jurassic World opened. Mm. Mm-hmm. And everyone went to go watch the the horribleness that that film probably was <laughs> um, instead of watching Inside Out. And, and I think that's a huge mistake because Inside Out was was a great film. It's it's obviously geared towards kids, I think. But the broader messages of this movie are are really deep and profound. Um, and and I think I walked away definitely um it gave me things to think about mm-hmm. when I left, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's quite, um, that's quite an accomplishment from, from an animated movie. Uh, I loved, loved the, uh, the soundtrack. Um, I was listening to it again today, uh, mm-hmm. because, because I think Joe was the one that was listening to listening to it again today. Um, yep. and, and loved it. So th- those are my, those are, those are my preliminary thoughts. Okay, Joe. Oh, well, this movie is kind of creative the same way that Monsters, Inc. was because I I think primarily the source, the the director who came up with the pitch of the story. And, you know, I think that he – his creative juices and the way that they – his wheels turn explore things that we – I I personally don't think uh, come naturally. Like this this idea that inside of our minds and in our – in our uh, inside of like our our psyche, we have a a control center that seems computerized and mechanical, and it has different islands and <laughs> connections and feeds and networks and mm-hmm. you know uh, data storage and uh, like mechanical inner workings, a, a, a and rules of its own. Uh, people that can come and go in that realm of our of our uh, you know our psyche and our innermost being. I, I don't think that that is something I would have thought of or thought would make a major motion picture success. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw the trailer, I, I thought this feels very much Pixar, but it's definitely not the same Pixar that made Brave. <laughs> no. and, and, and so for that, I was very excited. And then seeing the film, I, I was stunned by 
I have not cried this hard since Toy Story three mm. throughout just throughout a film mm-hmm. because of the the beautiful like yeah. connection the web of emotions like like yeah. you know Tim was kind of saying that it, there was something special to the fact that you're trying to sell a lot of highs and lows in rapid succession and it just worked in a way that sincerity is not usually pu- pulled off for this <laughs> many consecutive gut-wrenching, you know, moments in a film. It was it was really something special. Yeah. All right guys, so I did not lava this film, but I did love this film. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was really worried sick after that short. Uh, I was like what if this is what Pixar is doing, how bad is this film going to be? Because I hated that, that that lava short. I just hated it with every fiber of my being. Now, wait a minute. TJ, <laughs> you hated it or you just thought it wasn't up to par? No, no. I hated it. It was terrible. Why? How, how do you hate that film? Okay. So, you mean the short film. So, like, the entire song just told you exactly how to feel and what was going on. Like, compare it to oh, – what was that short in front of that uh, that uh, Disney that Disney short recently – um, uh, with the dog. Uh, um, hmm. Oh, that was in front of Big Hero Six. Yeah, the one in front of Big Hero Six. Absolutely, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it was it was what wonderful. And yeah, and and it didn't like it's the exact opposite of this lava short where this lava short explains every little thing to you, and yeah. and it just like the entire the song is oh, this is happening now, and this is the way you're supposed to feel about it, and this is la-da-da, and I lava you, and la-da-da-da. It's like, I don't know, it's just <laughs> terrible. Okay, so so this was my, fr- maybe this made me love uh, love the film that came after so much more, because I'm like, oh my gosh, Pixar really has fallen from grace. This is not going to work. This guy, this is terrible. Um, and then it, it was such a wonderful film came after it. It was quite quite unbelievable. Um, so yeah, so actually getting into my thoughts of, 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 uh, <laughs> of Inside Out, um, so Pixar has kind of had a fall from grace, you know, cars Two wasn't great and, and brave was pretty not great. And, and, you know, monsters university was a slight return to form, but not like really outstanding. And so people have been worried about, about Pixar and, and especially with the shuffling that's been going on and with, uh, John Lasseter now being over at Disney animation. And, and so all of us kind of wondered, can they, uh, can they do it? Can, is inside out a return to form? And I think, um, not only, is Inside Out a return to form? I believe it is the best film they have yet made. I, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, up until now, my favorite Pixar films have been all three of the Toy Stories because I can't choose from which one I, I like better because uh, they're all wonderful films. But I think that this film knocks those films off of that pedestal uh, and uh, knocks them off the wrong word because they're still great films. But I mean, it's this film does something really special. Like it takes these emotions and makes characters out of them that are believable and weaves them together in such a way like, and, and it, and this is what I think, Tim, you, you were alluding to the fact that, uh, you know, it's, well, it's a kid's film, but it had such great impact. I think that Pixar films, good Pixar films are actually adult films that work okay for kids too. Like they can be enjoyed on multiple <laughs> yeah. levels. My children, I, I took my children to this film and they loved it. But I don't think they loved it for the same reasons that I do. I don't think they get anywhere close to understanding what what it was that connected with this film. There were so many times when yeah. I could look at what was going on in Riley's head and go, "Oh my gosh, they're they, like they were in my childhood head. How did they do that? You know, um, it was it was just like, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> so this film was just wonderful and relatable. 
And and yeah, speaking to your point, Joe, uh, I was a big puddle of goo through a lot of this film. Just like like I was swimming in tears. I, I don't know yeah. what was happening. Um, it I, was, I forgot to mention that in in my in my preliminary thoughts that my wife kept looking over at me and she's like, "You are you crying?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, this is this is serious." But let me tell you how how emotional this film was. And and the thing is, like, I don't even think it was like a lot of times you're like, "Oh, that's emotionally manipulative." Like they they meant to make you cry and you felt manipulated. Yeah. But this film didn't feel that way. And I'll tell you how emotional it was. My wife. Uh, cried a little bit in parts of the film and she doesn't like i'm the one that usually cries at films and not not she <laughs> and she did too like she i said were you crying she's like yes so, uh, <laughs> it was it was quite uh quite something um and and to, to be honest like the i i think it's ironic uh i don't know if ironic is the right word but it's interesting how like the very point that this film is making that you need to experience these emotions and it made you experience those emotions. Like that is really, really good. It, it, you yeah. just connected with the emotions that it was trying to, to help you to understand. Right. And I think one of the reasons, like I was saying, going back to the idea that you're talking about a lot of the, uh, the innermost part of people's beings. And in many ways, I don't think that we would have thought we could relate to the story because we're we're grown adults and we're guys, mm-hmm. and if anything, we should have connected with the father in this movie. But in so many ways, I actually didn't feel like that much of a connection was happening between me and the fatherly role because no. you didn't really get into his head, not really for most of the film. So what I think stood out was that uh, it, it's this kind of concept that I I probably mentioned about a hundred episodes ago, but I I've been hoping for a long time now that a movie or movies in the future in general could explore a well-developed, very slow pace and allow us to see the story through the eyes of the main characters. And it's not something that we've actually seen in all that many films because usually when you experience a movie, you only think you know what the main characters are thinking. Mm -hmm. You only experience them with your emotions and how you would respond to them if you were in those scenarios alongside of them. Mm-hmm. And usually the what you enjoy about the performance of the main characters in a story is how you relate but also don't relate to the main characters and you see it from their point of view by their reactions to very unique circumstances. So um so like, for instance, it, while we're talking about Pixar, I always loved to watch Woody. I never really felt like I was like Woody, but I always appreciated how Woody was different from me. Mm-hmm. And I would not usually be able to think like Woody does. So even though those are very uh, you know simple stories in a, in a manner of speaking, highly developed, very, very sophisticated, simple stories – I, I didn't normally know wh- what Woody would do next. And that was something I really appreciated about him and made him more endearing to me. Now, with a, with this story, it's more like a, a really good novel where you read through like 300 or 400 pages of a novel and you are really getting intimate with the the mind and the heart, the soul of the main characters because it's from their first person perspective and you, you're like hearing their thoughts in a, in a way that you, no one gives you in, in the real world. And that's something that novels can do that movies don't do. 
And that is amazing. It's one of the reasons why novels are still selling. Mm -hmm. Like they can give you an experience that movies cannot. Yes. So I've thought for a while now, if movies could emulate that one particular trick of a good novel, then we wouldn't need novels anymore. Uh, not really, because that was the mm. one specially shining, better quality that a novel could offer that a movie could not. Mm. And say what you want. <laughs> but I have an opinion. And, and so, yeah, I, I feel like this is that movie. It, it, it does it where if you got all of the scenes that happen inside of Riley's head and you took them out of the movie, what you're left with is about a 30-minute long, relatively boring story. Where you're just witnessing a family moving to San Francisco in a very normal fashion. Right, a girl right, goes through yes. very normal problems and she experiences hardship. And you'd go, yes, yes, yes. We know it's really hard for you. Now what's going to happen next? And then mom and dad hug her and it's all over. And, and it feels like there's really not that much to that. And you could tell that in about 30 minutes. It was all the awesome, well-paced stuff that is going inside of her head and heart that make this a feature film and why we like this film at all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, the, the trapping, the framing around you, you know the, the the actual story happening in the real world is something quite ordinary and you know uh, uh, not everybody moves when they're eleven or whatever, but you know a lot of people do. I I was fourteen when we moved to an entirely different state, but I could identify. And and that's that's where Pixar I think kind of drew us in is identifying with Riley again like you say Joe it wasn't that we identified with the dad or the mom as 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 adult men here or whatever we had, we identified we I certainly remembered uh, how things felt from my childhood I I I identified with some of the things not everything obviously but some of the things Riley was going through here here's something interesting uh, I I don't know if uh, you know how your guys childhood was I did have imaginary friends. I was that guy. I was that kid. Yeah. You know, I had now that it wasn't like bing bong. I actually I had people that I was friends with that were imaginary. I, I don't know. I was probably five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, and I think it kind of fell off after that. I don't remember playing with imaginary friends after that. Uh but I I would even go so far, funny funnily enough, to introduce real friends to my imaginary friends. I must have been a very strange kid. Uh, but um so that was really fun to to I kind of identify Were you with, homeschooled TJ? Uh at that time I was not I, I was not homeschooled uh until the fourth grade. Um I was in a private Christian school until the fourth grade. Um anyway uh -huh. so yeah I that was that was a lot of fun and 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 it's funny with Bing Bong you expected this to be a throwaway character, right? Oh, they met an imaginary friend, and she, he's going to like point them in the right direction, yeah. and they're going to be off. And 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 Pixar, as they're wont to do, wrapped him around your heartstrings and then pulled and broke yeah. them. <laughs> it's like, what yeah. are you doing to me, Pixar? Like, I don't know about you guys, but when uh, when uh, Richard Kind's voice as Bing Bong said. I've, I've got a good feeling about this one. Let, let's do it one more time. I was like, oh no, oh no. Uh, he's alert. not going to get out. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have put a spoiler <laughs> warning on that. Um, so, uh, yes, um, that, that was such a, a tearjerker. Like I, that was probably the most tear jerking part of, of the, of the yeah. movie. And you're like, I don't know how they did it, but they wrapped that silly stuffed imaginary animal around my heart and then broke it in half. Like I just, it was, it was masterfully done. You know, I, I think it's so easy to say that characters uh, that you can that you can relate to are the ones that really 
um, drive a story home mm-hmm. uh, for you. And and it's it's funny because I, I think it's so easy to say that, right? But it's it's very difficult to do that in practice. Yes. And and I think um, this movie does a really good job of doing that, where there are lot there are a lot of elements that are extremely relatable to you uh, when you look back. It 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 strikes. I feel like it hits that nostalgia muscle um, in you where where it takes you back to your own moments and therefore connects on such a bigger and more profound scale. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I completely agree with you. That scene with Bing Bong just tore me apart. Uh, because I, I, I also, I also had a imaginary friend when I was a kid <laughs> and, um, and, and to, uh, think the, the sacrifice that this character made when you could see at the beginning that he was just not happy with his role anymore in, in Riley's life, uh, was, was really, was really profound and, and, and made an impact to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, Absolutely. So, so one of the things I want to talk about too is related to this film, and it's something I don't, I don't think we talk about as much. And, and I'll tell you, it even made me question sometimes. I, I don't know. I, I uh, Joe, I know you're a parent as well, and so maybe you go through this. Um, Tim, I don't, I don't think you are yet, but um, no. uh, so, so one of the things that made me even question, but, but, and, and just think about is um, a lot of times we'll tell our kids. I'll tell my kids, you know, if they're if they're uh, crying over something silly or. Or something. It's like you know, is this something that you should be emotional about? I mean, like, like in theory, there's things that I want them to <laughs> that, that I think are worthy of being emotional. But at the same time, maybe I'm a little heavy-handed. I'm like, maybe I'm trying to, too hard to curb these emotions because I think this film ably demonstrated. And I know it's been true in my own life uh, that you need to experience these emotions sometimes. Like I thought this film did a wonderful job. Like when sadness is is uh, sitting with uh, Bing Bong and and and. and it's it's just a moment that they have, and then they and, and Joy's like, well, well, how did you do that? I mean, like, you know, she didn't understand. Like, she thought the the point of life. Let's always be happy. And let's always be joyful. And and no, you yeah. you need a wider range of emotions. In fact, we we call people who can't experience in 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 the real world. We tend to call people who can't who don't experience uh, the wide range of emotions emotionally stunted in some way. Even even if it's just like you know, you probably know people who to to you at least or to me. They're, they're just always so happy and it's like, would you not be so happy all the time? Because you want to experience all, a full range of emotions. And I thought that this film did such a wonderful job of, of, of showing us how Riley was able to grow through the use of these emotions as characters. And it was able to grow into experiencing a more a broader range of emotion, was able to deal with life and, and cope with life in that way. Uh, yeah. You know, th- this actually brings up something that a lot of the other reviewers were saying that this movie doesn't have a villain. Yes, and, it does. Her name is Joy. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm taking it aback. Uh, what? <laughs> yes. Joy is the villain in this film. Not not purposefully, not on purpose. See, th- now, y- now you're going into semantics here. And if, if you're going to say that, then you also have to say that Woody was the enemy in the first Toy Story. Uh, he certainly played a villainous role at par- in parts. He he was an antagonist, but not the villain. Okay, maybe villain's and, the wrong uh, word. Antagonist may be a better yeah. word, but Joy was certainly, she needed to learn that it was, the reason that Riley was experiencing and having trouble coping was because Joy's answer to everything, uh, kind of what I was talking about before, is to always be happy and always be joyful, and that couldn't really quite cover what was happening. Riley needed to to cope with what was going on in some other way. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, I'll so, agree with that. Yeah. So anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, going back to Toy Story, we don't have a character like Sid or a toy collector or you know uh, a rogue toy that's trying to ruin the lives of all the others. You know, we don't have a rogue emotion that's like. Uh, at, at, at odds with all the others. Mm. I grant you all these different emotions have different opinions, but something that came up over and over again in this movie was that everything that they did, they did it for Riley because they loved Riley. That was really moving because every one of the characters expressed that at some point, if not more than once, they they would say how much they they like profoundly love Riley. And that was something you don't normally get away with in a movie mm-hmm. because it just doesn't feel right. But in this case, it made total sense. So taking a step back again, a lot of the people were saying it's amazing that this movie works even though it doesn't have an enemy. And I think the best the best explanation for how this worked as well as it does is that the enemy in quotation marks was the unknown the unexpected, the uncertainty. Sure, yeah. Because it, this this really worked for Riley because these life circumstances were all new experiences for her and she didn't know whether or not she would ever be happy again the way she was in Minnesota. So if she would know or have some encouragement, oh yeah, you're, you're going to you're, you're going to be fine. Just give this a year, give it two. You know, maybe one day if you're really serious about pursuing those interests again, you 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 could become a professional hockey player for all you know and still live in San Francisco like it was the fact that she was so uncertain about everything that her world came crashing down on her and you see that played out for all of the emotions where joy doesn't know what to do because there isn't a formula that she has experienced before and she hasn't stumbled across the right answers before whereas when you see the, the emotions of the parents that illustrate how they are prepared for so many circumstances because yeah. even if they don't know what's going on, at least it, they have so much experience that they, they don't have a problem with the uncertainty. Mm. And that, that, was, that was something that struck me like we all, we all got that without saying it or even thinking about it while we were watching this film. And that's why, again, going back to what, we, what we've been saying is that why was this so relatable? It's it was very relatable because I think in our own way, in our own life, we all experience the antagonist of uncertainty every day. Mm-hmm. We, we all suffer this, and yeah. and that and for that reason, we were on the edge because we understood and connected with Riley for that reason. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think that that that's that was one of my you know uh big takeaways from this film or is you know are you letting the right emotion win at at the right times you know <laughs> and the, yeah. and I feel like that's such a that's such a uh I keep saying this word but to me that's such a profound theme for this type of movie yes. where I I walked away wondering you know, who do I let control headquarters, you know, and when, and, and is that, is that right? Um, and, and, that, that's, that's profound. I, I, I think, um, there is, there is definitely a show of, um, finding that maturity in your emotions where you are then 
uh, not like 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 TJ said, not always being joyful because there's there's a time for each emotion. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I agree. And 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 it's it's uh, it's interesting because you're seeing like like Joe said, I, I liked what you brought out there, Joe, where you're talking about the you see the same emotions in the parents, but they're they're more blended, they're more working together, they're. Um, you know, I it's I see this every day in my children, especially you know, like my two year old who who literally and and of all my children, my two year old right now, she has this the most. Like she can go from being super happy to super sad, you know, crying about some spilled milk, literally, or, or something, and then all of a sudden <laughs> she's smiling at you again immediately. And and um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, well, it's funny that kids with their the amount of uncertainty they they experience every day. They in a situation where my daughter is experiencing boredom, she won't know whether or not this boredom will ever end, <laughs> and that alone can be something that will make her fret because yes. she's like, I, I don't know if, if you know. I know the wheels turning in her head. She's like, Daddy, I'm so bored, and you just, she seems miserable just because she's bored. <laughs> So I liked what you said, Tim, about uh, who's controlling headquarters. And, and one of the points I wanted to note is that if you're on Twitter, you're probably not letting, letting the right person control headquarters. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> uh, and I look back at my tweets and I'm like, eh, probably need to get anger out of the control panel there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it is, is who's controlling headquarters. And it's not, it doesn't always have to be joy controlling headquarters, um, but it probably shouldn't be anger. Most of the time, although it can right. be appropriate. Um, so that, it's a very interesting take and, and look at that. And frankly, I mean, I really love this entire take. Although the illusion or the, uh, the, um, uh, the allegory between how they were demonstrating the brain has its flaws. I, I loved it for the most part. Like, it was really fun. And, and you know, the, yeah. the memories – we, we can kind of talk maybe about our the things that we found really funny in this film. But, like, I love them sending that commercial up just randomly. Like, I know yeah. we, we all have these things that pop into our brains. We're like, go away. Yeah. I don't want to think about that right now. And it's just there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Triple dead gum. Yes. That's at the end of the soundtrack. That's a, it's, what's interesting is that in the past uh, there was the Woody's Roundup theme and there was the uh, Cowboy Crunchies jingle yes. in toy story two and they were a part of the soundtrack in fact uh, they went so far as to make an entire album of music inspired on <laughs> by the woody's roundup television show <sighs> and they, they were full-fledged songs they wrote as though they were songs from the woody's roundup program and uh that was a companion to the soundtrack they, they didn't when they didn't go to that extent with this film but i really enjoyed that at the very end of this soundtrack at the end of the credits, there's about 10 seconds of complete silence. And I was wondering what's going on. And then after 10 seconds of silence, they play the jingle mm, at the yeah. very end of the entire. Soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, I love dream duty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, um, I, I, I just find it fascinating because to me, it explains really, I think how, how dreams work in a sense, um, where these actors look nothing like what is actually in your mind or what these actually, these people actually look like, but your subconscious, you know, comes up with the rest basically, Yes, you know, where you, you fill in, uh, you fill in the place, you fill in how people look. Um, and, and all of that is done subconsciously and you don't, you don't even notice it. Uh, but I, I loved, loved that part. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I really loved, uh, just uh, by way of humor, I really loved when uh, Joy knocks over the boxes of facts and opinions. She goes, ah, I can't keep these straight. They're, they all look the same. It's like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I knock these over all the time, and I just put them back, and it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like, it's so true. That was classic. <laughs> and that was almost, like, glossed over. It, they went through that so quickly. Yes. That, uh, I, yeah, most of the audience didn't even get it, but I think everyone who got it just roared. Oh, I, I got it immediately. My wife and I looked at each other and were like, <laughs> so, I mean, because, like, it, it's so true. Like, it, you find yourself questioning, like, wait. Is that actually a fact, or did I make that up? You know, <laughs> uh, based on my opinion. So, um, yeah, I, and and I loved how in this film uh, there were so many seemingly pointless setups that had great payoffs later. And uh, case in point, obviously, is the uh, the wagon that was a powered song powered wagon, uh, which yeah. you thought was a throwaway, and it come to find out it's how Joy gets out of the uh, the memory dump. Um, so yeah, I, I just on all levels, on every level, whether it's the humor, whether it's, uh, the, the, pe- the setups and the payoffs, whether it's just the, the story outline, just everything about this film had such great, uh, I mean, it, it is the ultimate Pixar film in my opinion. Like this is what Pixar is good at and, and they really delivered a masterpiece here. So, so that being said, then do you want to talk about some of our dislikes? Because I, I, I don't have very many that I can describe. There, there but aren't I, many. They feel abstract. Um, I have two. I feel like something is missing from this film compared to some of the other Pixar films. Really? Like what? I, I don't know what. I don't know how to put my finger on it. But it, I like. Um, I connected with this movie. And I cannot say that I had a problem with any particular character, performance, uh, sequence of events. Uh, the only gag that didn't work for me was when during the dream sequence, uh, the uh, fear was like, oh, what next? You know, you're you going to look down and you don't have any pants. And then she looks down and there's no pants. That was, f- it was like intentionally supposed to be as funny as anything else in the movie. But I noticed that when they pulled that number, like nobody in the theater laughed. <laughs> So yeah. I don't know where people were taking it, like how they took it or not. Um, but then anyway, besides that, it wasn't a big deal. It was, I'm just getting nitpicky about that. Yeah, I, but I wouldn't would pick it, that, but go ahead. Yeah, but like uh, I feel like something was just characteristically missing. Like there weren't – was it was it that there weren't any subplots? It felt like it was a one-track story, one great big long continual theme from start to finish like uh, at the very beginning joy and sadness get into this rift that just escalates until it's out of complete control and then they do everything in their power to get back you know to headquarters and so from scene to scene everything was just a non-stop beat with this this core group of people that were like spinning out of control and then winding back up again was it was it that See, I, I felt like that made the film very focused. I mean, I, I noticed that the absence of any sort of B plots or anything like that, and, and I'm not opposed to having like a B storyline woven in with the A storyline or whatever, but I felt like the absence of it in this film was a benefit, not a, a detriment. I felt like it really added, like it really helped the film feel focused in on exactly what it was supposed to be. Uh, and Tim, maybe you have a different opinion, but I, I certainly would not call that a problem. Hmm. My, my only, um, I, I don't have many complaints about this film to, to be honest, but, um, my, my biggest would be, um, that I, I love Phyllis Smith, uh, but, but her, her voice just really annoyed me, um, through, through some of it. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I don't know if that was intentional um, to to make her annoying because I, I I don't think that she was annoying at all in the office. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there yeah. there was there was something about it that just irked me. You know, but maybe I don't know. I think to a certain degree, that's how we were supposed to feel that we were on Joy's side, and we were like, you know, please, sadness, go away. You know, yeah, but, um, but yeah. That that's that that was one of the things that irked me, and and um, there were parts also that I felt like uh, the emotions inside of mom and dad were uh, a little too overly simplified um, mm. compared to what we were seeing in Riley's head. Uh, I know that that's supposed to illustrate the balance that you have later in life, but to a certain degree, I felt like it, it was a bit too uh, simplified. But the, but other than that, I don't I don't really have any any complaints. So what you're saying is that uh, at least as far as you can tell, in your adult life, you have these emotions raging inside of you, and you just learn to control them better. <laughs> but they're still um, they're still doing. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but but I mean, like I I for example, I I didn't. Um, I I didn't agree with the fact that we go into the dad's head and he's watching sports inside of his head instead of paying attention to the conversation that's going on okay, at the dinner table. So so my you know? my read on that is that he's normally as as we can see from Riley's memories, he's normally a very engaged father, but he's having a stressful time with this new job thing that he's got going. We don't even know exactly what it is, but there's investors, there's fallout with investors and there's things and things seem very stressful. And he was kind of unplugged, like he was at home having dinner and he's just sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm out of it, you know, and, which right. happens to all of us. That, that was my take That's on true. that. But and then the other take on that is they were just playing it for gags. Like it's very stereotypical right. daddies into sports and ugh, I hate sports, but uh, I hate watching sports. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, very stereotypical. He's just, he's doing the and, um, sorry, sir. No one was listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one was listening. That's a job at men, and everybody gets yes, that. Yeah, totally. Which I, even though it's, it wouldn't be sports, I, I like at the end of the day, I come home and I've been working on code all day, and I'll sit down at the dinner table and I'll realize that I, I spaced out, and and one of my kids was trying to get my attention and tell me something. So I totally relate to it, at least in that way. So while it is a very much a a stereotypical characterization, it kind of works, you know, at least for me. Um, so, uh, you know, and then there's the whole thing where I've been, uh, again, this, this is, I guess maybe I just have my, my wife and I are very stereotypical, but like, you know, uh, she, she has decided and, and we have decided that she will, you know, be, stay home with the kids and I'll be the one, uh, out at work. And so when I get home, I've talked to everybody all day and I'm ready to just kind of sit down and relax. And she's been talking to these little kids all day long and she's ready for adult conversation. So, I don't know. I just found that very uh, uh, reminiscent of of real life in in a way, even though it was very stereotypical. But I, I get your problem with it, though. So I, I can see it both ways. Ultimately, for me, it wasn't a problem. Um, I, I had exactly two dislikes, um, and and the first it, it sounds stupid, but um, I just is even though it got a laugh out of me and they played it for the gag, I really didn't like the whole day the, the, when mom was daydreaming about the exotic dude she could have married. Like I found that uh, to be problematic and disturbing and uh, I, frustrating. Like what, what are they saying ab- ab- about her? Like, I don't know that that just bothered me. Um, so I don't know. Did it, I, I suppose it wasn't a problem I, for either of you guys. I actually have to agree with that one. Yeah. 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 I agree with that one. I, I, I just, I didn't like what it said about her as, as a mother and a wife. I, I thought that was like, eh, you're playing that for laughs, but that's a little bit, 
mm, let's let's do that in a different movie, guys. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah, honestly, I when we saw that in the trailer, I kind of dealt with my problems with that scene in the trailer and come the time that I saw it in the film, I just kind of tuned it out like, yeah, 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 whatever. Let's get back to the stuff we haven't seen. Yeah. So I didn't give it much thought when seeing that in the theater, I'm actually surprised that that entire, almost that entire meal scene was in that trailer. And a few other people I know were saying that that was their favorite scene of the movie. Like uh, just that it, it just worked for them really well. And it took me by surprise that something like that, that would work so well for multiple people would wind up being the, the very scene that was in the teaser, like almost completely Mm. unedited. Interesting. And that, that is like, huh, something that worked in a trailer also worked for you in the theater. And that's fairly uncommon. Most people I know or who see a good trailer, they're like, yeah, it kind of ruined it for me in the theater, you know, the right, movie right. because when I, when it came to that particular thing, I saw it in the trailer, it, 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 I, I'd it, already seen it. And it, it was feels gonna... disconnected um, because yeah. you've seen it so many times. Yeah. I, I get that. I, I've just made a note to come back and talk about my favorite scene, but I did want to, in, in, in keeping with the flow of the podcast, discuss my other dislike, or at least just mention it. Uh, and that is that disgust as an emotion didn't seem very well refined. Like I didn't know exactly, like I know she was supposed to be the emotion disgust, but she really didn't. She really seemed like a catch all for anything that didn't fit with joy or sadness or fear um, or anger. Like she was just every other emotion. She didn't seem very well characterized. She was like multiple emotions. Um, I I, I don't know. And I I didn't get how she was supposed to be like disgust. I didn't understand what was going on there. Um, She just didn't seem very well characterized, I guess. Did either of you uh, feel that way? My I I, th- I think I see what you're saying. I I I think the problem with disgust, as it is in the movie, is that it's painted largely by a very stereotypical, uh, somewhat snotty girl. Um, and, and because of that, it, it's not a bad thing. It's still something that you know we get a lot of humor out of the movie with yeah. her. Yeah. It's just that if we saw disgust playing out in another character it would have been a completely different kind of disgust. Um, and, and for that reason, we, we could relate to joy because joy would be basically for the most part, have the same motivations, the same thought patterns, no matter who, whose joy we were looking at. Yeah. And the same would be very familiar to us with anger or fear. But dis- disgust was less relatable because it was Riley's version of disgust. But it wasn't that she wasn't relatable. It was that she didn't seem to be just disgust. To me, it felt like they were dumping any other emotion that didn't fit in any other category was disgust's emotion. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's felt- I, don't, I don't blame them for that, though, at yeah. the same time, because it's, it's impossible to to explain the range of human emotion in five it's true. characters. Yes, it is you true. Know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What are you going to do? I guess, but it just felt like, and I think that's also why at the end you see, um, you see memories that have two colors. Yes. Yes. Because you start, you start seeing that, that, uh, memories and the way that you experience things are much more complex than, you know, experiencing one emotion at a time. Mm, Yeah. Well, this actually leads into my favorite scene, if if we want to talk about favorite scenes now. Uh, but that's a perfect segue because my favorite scene in the movie is when Sadness reaches over and says, no, you need to help me with this too. Like she brings Joy's hand over and they both 
are basically so it's an it, it's it's showing that both emotions are happening at the same time. You have joy and sadness kind of mingling to form these new memories that are both blue and gold. Um, I, I found that really, really touching and striking and, and, uh, well done and anything else that any, any other adjectives I can think of to throw at it. Um, it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. That was my favorite scene is when this is finally the correct blending. Like she's, she's, she's learning how to, to, uh, deal with these emotions and she's got it right. Like it's working the way it's supposed to. And, and and we saw that that actually started back up. Uh, if I remember correctly, it started back up the uh, the family island. Um, uh, so yeah. that that was really good. I had a hard time identifying favorite scenes because there were so many just really positive, interesting moments that, and also good one liners. You know, like you pointed up with uh, facts and opinions. Yes, <laughs> it was also the moment when they were accepting trophies, and Joy gets this enormous first prize trophy, and she's all elated. And then Sadness gets a, a little green ribbon. She's like, "Oh man, another participation award." <laughs> <laughs> that cracked me up. Uh, I, I think everybody laughed at that one. Yes. Like everybody laughed at it. Like exactly, that is what's wrong with that particular kind of ribbon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but but as far as like a a standout shining moment i i don't know what it would be one thing that struck me is for far as like uh the anime and the animation the progress that pixar has made over the years for animation mm-hmm. was that one of the earliest films was called the tin toy and it was this um it was probably one of the catalysts that just made their wheels turn about making Toy Story in the first place. They made it before Toy Story. And this in this film short, there were toys, you know, scattered around the living room floor and a baby was crawling around and tormenting the toys and, you know, drooling all over them and destroying them like a baby might uh, with toys that were not meant for a baby. Well, it's it's funny and it even works now because the humor is something that's universal and you can relate to it. But the animation, the what they were able to do with software and animation in those days was primitive compared to what they have now. So the baby looks terrible. It, it just it, it looks jarringly broken. Like they, they cannot seem to make this model of a baby move the way a baby should move at all. And then what shook me and brought that to mind was at the very beginning of this movie, we see Riley as a baby and it's a good close up. And I think that they went to great lengths to make that the best looking CGI baby ever to be seen. <laughs> that it was just, it was like, holy cow, that looks more real than babies in live action movies. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> and, and, and I just, I was like, take it aback. Like, you know, it's not like it, it, the baby had a key role. The scene doesn't really like make the baby shine because we see a lot of the baby doing things. It was just that face, the skin, the texture, somewhat of the, the like the, the translucency of the the you know the um the surface level of the skin and everything the, the very subtle like eye movements and cheek motions and head bobbling a baby does a, a, an infant will uh, it was uh, uncanny and uh so as far as like expertise of their their craftsmanship that's something that I thought I have not seen them do that in a Pixar film before. So yeah, no, I, it was, admire, it was, I admire to that. It was definitely very well done. Uh, the animation. I think that should yeah. be considered for uh for show title right there. The best CGI baby. 
<laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> I'll write it down. That's a good one. I I haven't been uh, see. I'm out. I haven't done a podcast in like three weeks. I wasn't even thinking about show titles. <laughs> Best CGI baby. My uh, my favorite scene. Um, which I, I don't know. Uh, compared to like, I guess my my other comments of this movie is gonna seem trivial. But uh, my favorite scene is actually when they get the new control board and uh and anger walks over and is like i have access to all the curse words <laughs> <laughs> yes that was pretty great what is this, uh, what like, is this why would you even have button? those programmed <laughs> uh yes sorry joe i think i interrupted you nothing i just I, it occurred to me when i saw that like why would you even have all of those programmed right alongside of everything else that's important on the console that 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 was what made it so funny <laughs> Uh, yes. All right, guys. Well, I think, uh, I think we're kind of winding down. So why don't we wrap it up with our, our final impressions, our, our, our thoughts, our, uh, our star ratings and that sort of thing. Tim, you are our guest. So you get to go first. Wow. Uh, I am giving it four and a half stars. Okay. Can you tell us why you want to just sum up anything that you, you want to sum up there? Uh, I, I'm, the the only reason why I'm not giving it five is because I feel like five stars should be reserved for, you know, mind blowing movies. Mm, mm. <laughs> and I and maybe you you know what? Maybe this one qualifies as that, but uh I'm I'm gonna give it four four and a half. Um this this movie was just was just great. Like I mean, I've said it repeatedly, uh that it 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 really gave me a lot to think about when I got out of the theater. Um, and, and I think it, it, it simplified complex things in a way that it wasn't, um, didn't make them seem trivial yet at the same time, uh, were digestible. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, that was just really, really good for me. Yeah. All right. What do you think, Joe? This is going to be one of my favorite Pixar films for a while because, it feels like it is the um, it it is the makeup for some of the more recent Pixar films, mm. and, and it was a reminder that Pixar still can do things without John Lasseter at the top. <laughs> Something that that kind of bugs me is how it seems all the journalists they all say the same thing: how things are just not the same at Pixar without John Lasseter at the top I've because been, he's now the head of creative at Disney. I've been known to say it. He is still highly involved and you know, he, his friends are in both the studios. So he's, he's still highly involved in both. But here's the thing is that I love John Lasseter as much as the next guy, but remember that probably the most John Lasseter like movies there are the ones that seem to epitomize who John Lasseter is are the cars movies. He is best when he is not in check, but collaborating on a Pixar film with his other creative talents. Mm -hmm. And I think that the cars films were examples where they just said, John, what kind of movie would you make? Tell us, show us, you make it your movie. And we got cars and cars too. Um, so that being said, it is great to see how they still have their special spark without John Lasseter highly involved at something like, like this. I mean, this film could have gone just as bad as something like brave. It, there was one thing, <laughs> something I remember from my own childhood were the terrible Disney 
Winnie the Pooh cartoons of the nineties. <laughs> they were just horrible because I mean, like what were they doing in the hundred acre wood with heffalumps and woozles and nightmares oh, under Christopher Robin's bed? It I was, hate the heffalumps it, and woozles. I, I know, but the way that they did them, like the stories would leave me with this like jarring feeling inside. Yes, like, no, completely. It, I know exactly what you're saying. And like, them. you can't even describe it. It wasn't, it wasn't that you, I was afraid of what they had demonstrated with heffalumps and woozles. It was more like just weirdness. Disgust. And this film, <laughs> it kind of like reminded me of the, that experience without causing the same disgusted feeling with what they were doing in the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there were moments in this film where it felt like they had wandered off into heffalumps and woozles territory and somehow it still really, really worked, which means that um, Pixar was able to clean up and do better than Disney could any day, just like they always can. So <laughs> I, I was, I was very happy. I give it five out of five stars. Nice. Without, without a doubt. All right. Well, I think this film is a masterpiece without a doubt. It's, it's, it, like, like Tim has been saying, it's very profound and it makes you think. And it, it does, it really does take those concepts that, that can be complex and it, it breaks them down into something that's understandable without trivializing them. I really like that, that, uh, what you said about that, Tim. Um, it's, it has um, an emotional core. Obviously, emotions are like the characters, but it has a real emotional core. It's not just that emotions are the characters. They're the heart and soul of this film. And this film demonstrates the um, the need for the emotions while making you experience them. Um, it, it, it's a really great story. And it's, it's, this, the story is simple, and yet it's, it's, again, to use the word, profound. Um, it has great setups and payoffs. It has great screenwriting. Um, it's, it, it never goes into this, uh, you know, it, it could very easily have devolved into something saccharine, but it's not, uh, it's, it's just, it rides that fine line. Um, and yeah, uh, Bing Bong ripped our hearts out and we loved it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm definitely giving this film five out of five stars. And for any longtime listeners of this podcast, you will know just how rare that is. I believe I've given two other films five stars in our 142 episode run. So I love this film that much. It is my new, I, I've given this a lot of thought. Uh, and I know I even said it, uh, is, should it be my favorite Pixar film? And I, I, I am ready to put it there. It is my new favorite Pixar film. And, and that is not to put down any of the other great work that Pixar has done. Obviously, uh, the Incredibles hold a special place in my heart. All three toy story films will always be incredible films, but this is the best film that Pixar has made, in my opinion, and and I don't say that lightly. Wow. So <laughs> I, I give it wow. five out of five stars. I love this film. I can't wait to see it again. I may go see it again this weekend, in addition to Jurassic World, which we'll be reviewing next week. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Um, IMDb users rate this 8.8 .8 out of 10 overall, and Rotten Tomatoes 98% critic approval rating and 92% audience rating. It's it's nearly not quite, but nearly unprecedented. 98% um, on a on something that could be considered, like you said earlier, Tim, a kids' film. Uh, so uh, it is it is a well received film, and rightfully so. One of the few times when I really feel like the critics just nailed it. Um, so yeah, I'm very very happy with this film. 
All right, guys, I think that brings us to the end of our review of Inside Out. Uh, had a great time reviewing it with you. Tim, where can we locate your various works and things that you do, and where can we follow and, and stalk you and things like that? <laughs> I'm uh, T. Tim Smith on Twitter and uh, ttimsmith.com. And that wasn't a stutter. That is T. Tim Smith, right? Yep. All right. Very good. Uh, so check those things out. Uh, check out the now defunct podcast that you do if you're interested in uh, development design and things like that the east wing um i don't know well, i don't know if it's defunct or not it just hasn't been any episodes lately it's been uh been sad um joe where can people find you i am underscore joe darnell on twitter and you, i am here and on my other two shows tectonic and top Brew. wait you do shows other than movie bite i feel so betrayed uh, I'm sorry, TJ. I hadn't told you about this. Uh, <laughs> are you breaking up with me? Let me break it. And let me break it. Uh, break it to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, no, no. It's it's not you. It's me. Okay. <laughs> you, you can check out uh, me on Twitter if you want to follow me there. Uh, TJ Draper Pro. I'm a somewhat controversial figure there sometimes. Uh, no. Anyway, um, yes, you can follow me on Twitter, TJ Draper Pro, for any and all kinds of musings and and whatever. Uh, you can find uh, show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 142. And uh, that is also a great link for you to share with people. If you thought this was a standout episode, as they all should be, then you can share this link with anybody. MB, uh, moviebyte pod, I'm sorry, I'm messing it up. Moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 142. Um, and you know, most, most podcatchers will pull those show notes right in for you. You don't have to worry about that. But if you happen to need that link, there it is. We would also appreciate, uh, a star rating. I haven't asked for that in a while. So just go to iTunes, type in movie bite. We're the first thing that comes up and you can go give us five stars just like that. And, uh, that really helps us, uh, with, uh, recognizability amongst, uh, amongst other podcasts. So go and do that. We are back. We, uh, we will be doing an episode next week. Uh, I know we took two weeks off, but we're doing an episode next week. It is a Jurassic World is what we're planning on doing, and I don't expect to like it. Uh, so just a little, <laughs> a little heads up. But there's, it's, it's, it can be fun to, uh, to, to kind of a, you know, lampoon a movie once in a while. So expecting to have fun doing that. Uh, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for being here, Tim. And uh, it was a great fun to have you on the podcast. And we hope to have you back very soon. Thank you. I look forward to it. See you later, Joe. Ta-ta, Joe. Thank you.